0: Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Centre Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Well, welcome Centre Street Church. Uh, Those of you who are uh, joining us online, also those of you who are meeting together at one of our other regional campuses in Airdrie, uh, down in Bridgeland, uh, South Calgary. And also, those of you meeting in the Crofa Theaters in Northwest Calgary. Well, we come now to the final sermon on the book of James. No cheering, please. Thank you. Um, those of you who have been with us for all or most of our time in this incredible letter, you may recall that James uh, gives us a description of what it looks like, practically speaking, uh, to be a Christian. And he comes to the end of his letter, he essentially says, You can't live the Christian life that I've just described in your own strength. You can't live it on your own. If you want to live the victorious Christian life and not wander from the faith, you're going to need to invest in two key relationships. First of all, you're going to need the presence and power of God in your life. And furthermore, you're going to need the challenge and the encouragement of Christ followers in your life. First of all, you're going to need the presence and the power of God in your life through prayer. And we talked about this last time, but prayer isn't part of the Christian life. Prayer is the Christian life because fundamentally prayer is all about communicating with God, conversing with Him, talking to Him, listening to Him, cultivating a vibrant relationship with Him. You see, in giving us a picture of the Christian life, James is not saying that we must keep these commands and these principles perfectly if we want God to be pleased with us. Rather, he's describing how the Holy Spirit will gradually transform us from the inside out into the image and character of Jesus as we daily surrender our lives to God and cultivate a growing relationship with Him through prayer. In short the Christian life is not about trying to live the commands and principles that James spells out here. It's not about trying harder, it's about trusting God, the spirit of God to empower us to progress step by step toward Christlikeness. And then secondly, if we want to live the victorious Christian life James describes here in this letter, we're also going to need the encouragement and the challenge of other Christ followers. In the same way that you can't live the Christian life in your own strength, you also can't live the Christian life on your own. It just doesn't work. You're going to need the challenge, the encouragement, the care, the prayers of other Christians. And that's going to be the focus of our time in the Word today. And so I'm going to invite you to stand, if you would, and join me in reading the last few verses of James. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Again, Heavenly Father, thank you for these words that James penned under your inspiration. And we ask, O oh God, that you would help us to fully understand the meaning of what we've just read and also to apply it to our lives. Give us the will, the courage to do so, to do whatever it is you ask of us. For we pray it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Many years ago now, a young man approached me after a service and told me that even though he was living the dream, he was unhappy. He was unfulfilled. Now, just so we can identify him, is it okay if we just call him George? Um, if any of you here have a name, George, um, one of our ushers is called George. He reminded me that I might want to change it. But anyways, if, if, if your name is George, uh, I'm not referring to you, okay? And... Uh, And actually, George is not the name of the person I'm talking about either. So, uh, just want to make that clear. But we'll use the name George, just so we have a point of reference. So, George was seeking meaning in life. He had a truckload of questions about the Christian faith. And so began a year-long journey with him asking questions and me trying to provide answers or resources with answers. And the time came when he couldn't deny what he knew to be true. And he, by faith, put his trust in Jesus Christ. He was baptized. He attended a number of classes that we were offering. He continued to attend our worship services uh, like this on a regular basis. We would meet from time to time to get caught up and continue our discussions about the Christian faith. But with all the demands on my time, I knew that he needed more than me in his life if he wanted to continue to grow in his spiritual faith. And so I challenged him to get connected with a community group or one of the ministries of the church. I reminded him that the Christian life was never intended to be lived alone. That Christ established the church to care, to encourage, and to spur one another on toward love and good deeds, which we read about in Hebrews 10, 24. He told me that he understood that. He just wasn't ready for that yet. Well, as time went on, he began to call less frequently. And his Christian life began to follow the predictable pattern of those who avoid community, that I have seen again and again. Even though he would assure me his faith in the Lord was still strong as ever, ever so slowly, he allowed other priorities to captivate his heart. He began to wander away to other things, to other people, and eventually we lost contact. Now, there's so much more to this story, and it does end up really quite good, but I want to stop right there to say this. The Christian life is more than knowing about Jesus, putting your trust in Jesus, and embracing the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus, so when you die, you will go to be forever with Jesus in heaven. Now this is a very important part of the Christian life, of course, but it's only half of the gospel. The Christian life is also about doing life with the family of Jesus, the church, and together living and accomplishing the mission and the redemptive purposes of Jesus in our world. Now, I say that to make this point. Over the years, I have observed that people like George wander away not because they stop believing in Jesus, not because they stop believing that Jesus is the source of truth, the way to God, the way to eternal life, no, they wander away because even though they embraced Jesus as their Savior and Lord, they didn't embrace His call. They didn't embrace His call to join together with other Christ followers to live out His kingdom values and to accomplish His will and His mission on earth as it is in heaven. They decided to keep their Christian life private to live their Christian life essentially alone. But in doing so, they failed to understand that they were missing out on a major part of the Christian life. A major part of what God had for them as part of their Christian experience. And their understanding, their experience of the Christian life was incomplete. It would be like being in medical school and studying human anatomy and biochemistry and all the other disciplines needed to practice medicine. But never actually seeing or treating patients. When James says here in verse 16, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. He's saying something about the Christian life, isn't he? How many times when you read through the New Testament, do you hear the words, one another, love one another, bear with one another, serve one another? Here he talks about confessing your sins to each other, to pray for each other. He's saying the Christian life involves each other. And if you insist, making it a private affair, then you must not conclude, as some have, that the Christian life is unfulfilling, or it's boring, or it's untrue, or it's just another religion. Because the truth is, at best, you've only embraced and experienced half of the gospel. God never intended for us to go it alone. God himself is a community of three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. There's no loneliness within the Godhead, only perfect love, delight, and mutual servanthood between the Father, Son, and Spirit. We all are created in the image of God, which means we are wired up for community to be in relationship with others. And if we don't long for that, something's not quite right. And this is why we long to belong, why it means the world to us when people notice us and invite us over and include us in their family or in their small group. Why as children we are so blessed when someone invites us to their birthday party or chooses us to play on their team. Or as teens... When our heart skips a step when someone that we're attracted to lets us know that they feel the same way or invites us out on a date. We're all wired up for a relationship, to be in community. The question is then, if this is how God wired us up, then why do so many people not live in community? Well, the Bible says it's because we live in a broken world. We live in a a sinful, self-centered world. And that corrupts community. It breaks community down. You see, the reason that my marriage is not sheer blissful oneness every moment of every day is because I am not the easiest person in the world to live with. And because my wife Gwen is, well, let's not go there. You see, this all started back with our first parents. Adam and Eve experienced true community. Perfect, unbroken oneness with God and with each other. But then they made a decision to go their own way rather than God's way. And that did a real number on the oneness that they enjoyed with God and also with each other. Genesis 3 tells us that when Adam and Eve sinned, the first thing they they did was they, they hid from God. They noticed that they were naked. They immediately covered up. And you see, we've been covering up our sins and hiding from God and one another ever since. But God didn't give up on us. Ever since then, God's been on a mission, first through Abraham and his descendants, and then through Jesus, to bring all people back into his kingdom community with himself and with each other. When Jesus began his ministry, one of the very first things that he did was to invite 12 Individuals to join him in establishing a caring community and also in joining him in accomplishing the mission that his heavenly father had given to him. And Jesus called this new kingdom community the church, a community where no one is alone, but everyone is loved, accepted, and valued, and a community where everyone is also called to love and to serve to care and pray for one another and to reach out to others. And even though this new kingdom community of the church is filled with imperfect people like you and me, people who, can, people who are more than capable of offending us and hurting us and even embarrassing us, Jesus calls us to get over it, to humble ourselves And to be part of the church. Trusting him to use this imperfect community to not only encourage and to challenge and to grow us spiritually. And to keep us secure in the faith. Keep us from wandering away. But also to reach out together. To impact the lives of many people in our world. Inviting them to become part of his family. Which leads me to ask, what does a healthy kingdom community look like? What does his family, his spiritual family, look like? Well, first of all, a healthy kingdom community is where I'm reminded of God's truth and perspective. In Psalm 73, the psalmist talks about a personal struggle that he's having. He notices how the wicked seem to prosper. How they seem to be healthy and strong. While here he is, he's faithfully serving God. He's giving everything he has to God. He is doing everything he can for God. And yet, things are not going well for him. I mean, he's really struggling. You ever feel like that? Ever find yourself with this thought on your mind... Like it seems like God's favor and God's goodness seems to be directed to people who don't deserve it? Or have you ever had a week where you've looked around and you thought to yourself, you know, I wish I had that person's job. I wish I had that person's personality, that person's waistline, that person's hairline, that person's bottom line. Well, the psalmist goes on to say that he was plagued with those kind of thoughts. He wasn't thinking real good. And then he met together in community with other believers in the sanctuary of God. He says it was then when I consciously joined the people of God in worship and entered into the presence of God that God whispered to me and gave me his perspective and God reminded me that life is a precious gift from his gracious hand and that every human being is just one heartbeat away just one from giving an account Of their life to a holy God. And were it not. For his love and grace. We would have no hope at all. And when he realized that. All of his troubled. Distorted thinking. Began to. Disappear. Have you ever had that happen to you? Ever leave a worship service like this or an evening with your community group saying to yourself, I I see things in a new way. The lights have come on. I see the big picture now. I understand God's perspective on this. You see, friends, that's the power not only of worship, but also the power of regularly being in community with other believers we're reminded not only of God's truth, but also of God's perspective in life. Secondly, a healthy kingdom community is where I'm encouraged and free to be open and honest. In verse 16, James writes, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. First of all, he he says, Healthy community is characterized by prayer. Encouragement. You know, there have been times down through the years when I was discouraged, when I was feeling great sadness, heavy hearted about something. I remember the last thing I wanted to do was meet with our small group, you know, or or go to a weekend service. But then Gwen, my wife, would remind me that I was the pastor. Uh, that I was actually scheduled to preach. <laughs> it might be prudent for me to go. So, but, but seriously. Whether being part of a worship experience like this. Or a small community of believers in a home. I can remember many times listening. To others pray. Or read or teach the scriptures. Or testify to the faithfulness of God or passionately sing songs like great is thy faithfulness. And hope began to well up inside of me again. Not a sentimental feeling but a raw living hope that emerged from realizing once again the truth of who God is, that he makes no mistakes, that he has our best interest at heart in all things and that he can be trusted. Sometimes I was struggling with how to respond to a certain situation, overcome with anxiety or fear over something. And just being part of a community of God's people, I'd receive instruction from the scriptures. I'd receive encouragement from others. And it ministered to my, my soul. A healthy community is where people feel at home. Where they feel accepted and prized. Where they can grow spiritually. Where they can serve, where they can flourish in their giftings, and where they can encourage and care and pray for others, even as they have been encouraged and prayed for. This is the power of community. Now James also writes that we're to confess our sins to each other. And John Ortberg says, "We live in a world of image protection where impression management is the rule of thumb. And as I thought about that, you know, I got thinking about social media. And, and, and is it not true that, you know, typically we post pictures that present us in the best light? You know, when we're looking our best, when we're happy, we're smiling, we're having a good time. And James challenges us here... That in the church community, it's, it's fine, of course. You know, to, to laugh and have a good time and all the rest of it. But he challenges us to be real. To stop playing the game of pretense. To be honest, to be open. About our struggles. You know, for me as a pastor, even though I want to be open and honest... I struggle with revealing my struggles and shortcomings. But inevitably, God finds a way of keeping me real, keeping me humble by exposing the truth of who I am in unexpected ways. Many years ago, when our boys were still in elementary school, I put them in the community soccer league and I volunteered to be their coach, coach of the team. Now, I know that you'll be shocked to hear this about me, but I'm just a tad competitive. (laughs) Those who know me better that play hockey or sports with me would say that's putting it mildly. Anyhow, on more than one occasion, when a game was really close, my competitive spirit trumped whatever good sense I had. And I'd march up and down the sidelines, barking out instructions to the players on my team like an army drill sergeant. I still break out in a cold sweat when I think of how ridiculous I must have looked doing that. Well, all that changed for good when one of the parents on the other team approached me after a game and said, Hi, you look so familiar. aren't you one of the pastors of Center Street Church? And I said, why, yes, I am. My name's Wayne Smeal. What's yours? <laughs> I actually didn't do that to Wayne, but I got to tell you, I really wanted to. When James says here, confess your sins to each other, the point that he's making is is that we stop the pretense. He's saying, let's be open, let's be real. Let's be honest. Let's acknowledge that even though in the spiritual realm we are forgiven and we are one with Christ, which means we are righteous and holy in His sight, Let's also realize, though, that in the earthly realm, the natural realm, we all still struggle with sin and we still say and do stupid things. So let's have one or two people in our lives that we're open with, that we're willing to process things with, that we're willing to say, hey, you know, I've got this issue in my life that I'm really struggling with. You know, I, I, I need to deal with this. Would you pray for me? Would you hold me accountable? Would you ask me about this again in a couple of weeks? Now, of course, let's not be flippant about sin. Let's be serious about living God-honoring lives. But let's also be real and stop pretending like we've got it all together. Because if we keep playing that game, not only will we never grow spiritually and be all that God wants us to be, but people, they won't be drawn to us or to our group of friends. Because people tend to distance themselves from those who pretend they've got it all together. You know, the Bible says God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. And you see, we're made in His image. And so why would we think we would respond any differently? We find ourselves resisting, walking away from, avoiding the proud. We are drawn to the broken, to those who are humble. So let's be sensitive. But let's be real. And let's have one or two people in our lives that we trust completely. that we're willing to talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly things in our life with. You see, James' concern is is that if our life, or if our marriage, or if our family, or if our business is falling apart, and we just keep smiling and pretending like all is well, we're not only going to miss, we're not only going to miss out on, on so much of the encouragement that we need from the body, the prayers, the wisdom from others. But in time, we simply won't be able to keep playing that game. And if there isn't a spirit of, of genuine openness and honesty and realness in the community that we're part of, our only recourse eventually will be to just to simply stay away. Perhaps even to wander away from the faith and the church. And that would be so incredibly tragic, but it's being played out again and again. Now people wonder, why not just confess to God alone? Well, look at verse 16 again. It says again, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other for what purpose? So that you may be healed. We talked about that last week. When it talks about healing, the verses prior to this, it's not just talking about physical healing, it's talking about emotional, spiritual healing. And notice here that James is not talking about confessing our sins to each other to get forgiveness, but rather to get healing. He knows that one key way we can be healed and restored spiritually and emotionally is by sharing our struggles and our shortcomings with someone who we give permission to hold us accountable. See, James wants to see us grow in our faith, and he knows that we will come, that will come to us through the prayers and the encouragement of a healthy kingdom community. And then finally, a healthy kingdom community is not only one in which I regularly am reminded of God's truth and God's perspective. A kingdom community where I'm encouraged and free to be open and honest. But thirdly, a community where I am challenged to reach out to others. Look at verse 19. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death. And cover a multitude of sins. Now in this passage, James is really referring to two kinds of situations. First of all, he's referring to people in your immediate circle. Who you perceive to be drifting away from their faith in in some way. There's some slippage going on. It could be a spirit of resentment that you see in their life. It could be a spirit of entitlement. It could be some other unhealthy attitude or behavior that you're picking up in the life of a close friend. And many Christians often tend to ignore these red flags because they fear that if they raise this concern with their friend, their intention will be misunderstood, the person will feel judged and write them off perhaps as a friend. And so often they say nothing. But if you are really close to someone and you genuinely care for them, James says you won't ignore these little warning signs. He's basically saying to us, you know, these little indiscretions could one day lead to a much greater failure in your friend's life. And so if you really love and care for your friend, then humbly and prayerfully approach them. And say something like, you know, I've just been noticing a little drift in this part of your life. Am I mistaken? Just notice there's a bit of an edge in the way that you're communicating with your spouse. Is everything okay with the two of you? Sometimes a loving, humble confrontation like this can prevent a person from continuing down a path that could destroy their lives. And then secondly, James is also referring to those that you know who were once part of our church community, but have wandered away, seemingly absorbed with things other than God. So let me ask you, do you know anyone who has wandered from the faith, that's wandered from the church? Do you know of anyone who's had a moral failure and have just kind of fallen away? Do you know anyone who seems to be struggling spiritually right now? and they seem to be drifting away. What's what's been your attitude toward them? Be honest now. Do you tend to judge them? Do you find yourself telling others about how unfaithful and how uncommitted they are? How disappointed you are in them? And yet, can we be honest for a moment? Aren't we all prone to wander? Haven't we all had seasons in our lives where we have felt incredibly close to God and fully engaged in his kingdom work? And then then there have been other seasons where circumstances or hardship have left us questioning God, doubting his goodness, or just really in a not a really good place. You know, if our three worst sins were to be put on the big screen for all to see, would you still have any moral authority to lead anything? Much less point the finger and gossip about the person whose sin was suddenly exposed? My point is the ground is level at the cross. And we are set free and we're able to live and to lead in victory only because of the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of God. And so what James is challenging us with here is not to criticize, not to slander or cut off the people who have wandered away or have fallen in some way. Steady challenges us to do all we can to woo them back. And the way we're going to do that most effectively will include things like, first of all, in the words of Jesus, before we judge them for the speck that we see in their eye, that we deal with and remove the big fat fence post that's sticking out of our eye. By sincerely repenting of our own sin. Bringing it into the light. Secondly, we pray for them. And not with the intent of using prayer as an opportunity to gossip and to further slander the life of people who have wandered away. But to pray for them out of genuine love and concern for them. And then thirdly, we love them in whatever way it is that God leads us to. Which means that we go to him on a regular basis and say, Lord, what is it that you would have me do or say or give or whatever? What is it you would have me do to love this individual back to you? The reality is, you know, when we give ourselves over to sin, the heart begins to harden. And as the heart hardens, the way we behave, the way we react, grows increasingly dark and angry and selfish. But 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8 says that it's love, God's love that covers a multitude of sins. And the key, therefore, is to genuinely love them. To ask God to show you ways that you can bless them. How you can serve them without expecting anything in return. How you can encourage them and just let them know that you genuinely care about them. And James says, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. In other words, God will use your faithfulness and your love toward that person to save them from destroying their lives. I'm going to close by telling you the rest of George's story. And I remind you again, it's not his real name. (laughs) One day he called me asking to meet And when we got together, he informed me that he got a promotion at work and he would be moving to another city. He assured me that he was still growing in his faith. He thanked me for my guidance and encouragement in his life. And again, I challenged him to to find a a good Bible-believing church in, in the city he was at. And I reminded him of the importance of being in community with other Christians. Years later, I got a call from him, and here is some of what he said. When he moved to the new city, he attended a few churches, but in his words, the services, the messages were uninspiring, and he he soon stopped attending church. But he now realized that that was just an excuse to avoid living what he knew to be true. He met a woman at work, and after some time, they were married. He talked with her about his faith, and even though she was interested initially After they were married, they never really got around to talking about it ever again. And so like so many couples in our society, they worked hard in order to purchase all the stuff that they wanted and vacation where they wanted. But five years later, they ended up in the same place as a couple that he was at when he first came to our church. One day she announced that she was bored with their relationship was leaving him for someone else. Understandably, this was devastating for him and he ended up in a state of despair and deep loneliness. He told me he was about to call me when a friend at work invited him to his church. And after church, out for supper with his family. A week later, he invited him to his small group. And out of sheer boredom and loneliness, he decided to accept the invitation. And soon, he no longer felt alone. He felt loved and accepted. And in the months that followed, he began to experience the other half of his Christian faith. And he said to me, Pastor Henry, I know you talked about this, but now I understand That the Christian life is more than just knowing more and more things about Jesus and what Jesus taught. It's about walking with Jesus daily together with members of his family. And friends, George is a living testimony of what Jesus, I'm sorry, James is talking about here. Because his friend at work cared about him and his walk with God he loved him enough to invite him into his life into the life of his family into the life of his friends and he not only provided George with the opportunity to experience the totality of the Christian life the way that Christ intended him to but he prevented George from continuing on the destructive path that he was on Friends, this is what the Lord wants for you and me. He wants you to be connected with members of His family in a healthy kingdom community. And then, together with them, to use you to introduce people like George not only to Jesus, but also to invite them to be part of the extended family in Christ. May it be so in our lives, to the glory of God and for the sake of all those that we know need the Jesus that we know and love. Would you stand with me, please? I'm going to invite you to just open your hands before the Lord again, and we're going to ask those two questions. Lord, what are you saying to me? And Lord, what what do you want me to do about it? As we reflect on the book of James, I'm reminded of one of the most powerful things that James said. He said, do not only hear the word, but do what it says. And that's what these two questions are all about. As we're reflecting on that, I'm going to ask those of you who are baptized, if you just make your way up here on the stage, we just want to include you in the closing prayer. Let's just take a moment with the Lord right now. part of a community of faith. If you want to join God's family, there are pastors out in the atrium standing around tables that would love to talk to you. I encourage you to do that. Let's pray together. Our heavenly Father, we just want to thank you, Lord, for the step of faith that these individuals have taken celebrate with them Lord this day when they have declared their faith in you and I ask oh God that you would surround them Lord with your holy angels Lord that you would direct their pathways and Lord I just pray for anyone here Lord um, who are still searching who are still questioning are still wondering about who you are I pray Lord that you will draw them to yourself until they find their hope and their faith in you and that together Lord is a church Lord that we would come to realize that church is more than services like this that you want us to come together with others and to be about the things you've called us to be and to do so Lord we just commit ourselves anew to you, for we pray it in Jesus' precious name. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his precious peace. In the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening